When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the show. My guest today is GT Dave, and I have been drinking GT Dave's kombucha for 20 years, and I know a lot of you have tried the drink, but this conversation was amazing. We talk about starting a new business as a teenager, losing a brother, getting married. He has two babies that are three months apart, and what I loved about this conversation with GT was the combination of sticking to your guns and your values, being of love, but also having a very serious mission that keeps you on path. He's an entrepreneur. He's a loving son, husband, dad, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome to the Gabby Reese Show. It's all an experiment. Hello, Ma. Push the earth away, Gabby. Um. Okay, so you know what's interesting is to do my, you know, doing my homework on you um, and being someone who has a a, a small, you know, a small business. Uh, we took our we're, we did it very differently than you. We took our business public in September. Oh wow! Yeah, which has its whole other sort yeah. of interesting dance. Um, you know, it's like I think when I was introduced to your product, I was a, definitely one of those people that would, if I was at a little health food store and it was there, I would buy it. In the in the nineties, yeah, I, de- I did. <laughs> okay, so you're one of our early adopters. Yeah, so I want to I want to sort of bucket this a little bit and talk first about your business because I I think that when people see a company like yours, they don't actually really understand unless they're they live in that space. Like the fact, for example, that you do a cold chain product that alone, that's you know on the higher side of cost compared to other drinks. That um, when it first came out. The SCOBY, which we'll get into, is considered strange if you didn't know about it. Just sort of all these things, and yet you have been not only successful, but you introduced a very old idea into an, into the modern era in the United States. So when I started reading, I was like, okay, are we going to call him GT? Because I think people think Dave is your first name, not your last name. Yes. Because you go, oh, GT Dave's. It's like... Some guy that, you know, it sounds like a guy who hung out at the beach with fluorescent shorts. That's <laughs> yeah. GT Dave, you know what I mean? So it, it, GT is sh- short for your formal name, and Dave is your last name. Yes, my legal last name. Right. Yeah. Which I'm coming, I looked at for your parents, and their last name is Dave. Yeah. Right. And GT came from, I'm named George Thomas after yeah. my two grandfathers. So my father's father, George, and my mother's father, Tom. Yeah. And I'm the baby in the family, so that's why I kind of got George Thomas Dave within the first five seconds of my birth or five minutes. And then after that, they're like, no, GT Dave sounds better for such a small baby. Yeah. So let's, let's go back. Um, because you used to have on the packaging, the story about your mom. Yes. Um, and then listen, as businesses grow, you, things tighten up and we have, you know, there's rules and we learn those. So you have to take, you know, you have to sort of take that part of the story off. So for a lot of us, we, I knew about it, Yeah. but maybe you could just sort of share how your parents used, were introduced to kombucha when you were a kid. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, to start kind of the beginning of the story, I have to give credit to my parents who 
raised me a vegetarian. My mother raised me vegetarian in her womb. And they exposed me to basically the best of what I believe of the East and the West. And so what that was is, you know, I was raised Catholic, for example, and I was an altar boy. But I would go to Mass every Sunday, but then after Mass, I would go to Sunday school, and I'd learn about Hinduism and Buddhism and how to meditate and things of that nature. And so I really had this interesting combination of two very different worlds. And so that really was my foundation. And so through that, I I kind of was raised in a somewhat unconventional environment, being a vegetarian, number one, being, you know, heavily, uh, having a heavy belief of spirituality Mm -hmm. and things of like karma and things of that nature. In addition, you know, my parents took me to India at a very young age. And so I was able to witness firsthand the contrast between, call it the Western world. You know, I'm from LA, born in Bel Air. It's not a tough background. (laughs) But then going to India and seeing young children, you know, defecating on the street Mm -hmm. and seeing disease everywhere. And so that really opened up my eyes. And little by little, and I believe this was my parents' kind of master plan, but they never really articulated it. They wanted to raise a good human being that understood that there's more than meets the eye to this life. Mm-hmm. And so through that, created this, like, this feeling of selflessness and wanting to do something with my life and make a contribution. So naturally, food being medicine and probably the most intimate thing that we can do with our bodies because we ingest it and it can heal or hurt us was always a big deal in my parents' household. And so kombucha came into the household in the early 90s, and it was one of the many crazy things that my parents were exposing me to. Tofu, wheatgrass, noni juice, you know, fasting, all this stuff. And Before we... How were they... Where and how were they raised? How did they arrive... You know, because it's not like, oh, they were in the 60s. Right. So there's like hippie overflow. Where, how, where did this come from within, their, within them? You know, it really came from my mom. My mom was such an incredible human being because she was one of those types of people that her favorite word was why. Mm. Why this? Why do I have to do this? Why do I have to believe this? Why do I have to behave this way? So she was kind of a, a, a positive rebel, mm-hmm. if you will. She wasn't looking to rebel just to rebel. She had a natural curiosity. And through that curiosity came her love affair with astrology and kind of the more, more mystical, esoteric things of life. And so she actually is the one that was the catalyst for my father's kind of um, change in his lifestyle. Because when she met my father, he actually was an atheist, right? Mm-hmm. He owned what's now Bar Marmont in uh, West Hollywood. You he know, was, they, he wasn't even an attorney. He was an attorney, yeah. <laughs> he was an attorney CPA by day and then nightclub owner by night. And See, so, I, see, I think you have a little of both of them. Oh, a hundred percent. Totally. Well, you know, and I think that's, I think that's something that I'm very proud of. Is I believe that I'm creative and artistic, but then I also believe I'm very um, realistic and then very practical and very disciplined. And again, if you're just one side of that or the other, you can sometimes be a lot, a little lopsided. But I take a lot of pride and certainly make a conscious effort to maintain a good balance between those two. So your mom, she. Weirdly, you figure with all these practices, she gets a pretty aggressive breast cancer. Yeah. And you're a teenager. Yes. And, um, you know, listen, you're not making any claims, but you're just saying, hey, one of the things for her, it felt like the kombucha didn't hurt. Yeah. I mean, it was the opposite. It helped her. And so I'll lay kind of the foundation for you really quickly. Is mm-hmm. So when kombucha came into the household, like I said, it was one of the many crazy things that my parents kind of didn't force on us, but strongly recommended. 
And because it looked weird, smelled weird, tasted weird, I was like, yeah, I'm going to pass. Really? Yeah. It's because now I'm at an age where I'm a teenager, so I'm 13 years old. And as you know, probably with your kids, Mm -hmm. you know, our favorite word at that age is no. (laughs) Yeah. What are you doing? I'm going the other way. Exactly. So I resisted and I didn't participate in their consumption of kombucha, but I did observe. And with kombucha, it's not a secret when you're drinking a lot, because especially if you're making it at home, you have to ferment it. So I noticed that my parents' kind of fermentation went from one batch of kombucha, which is like a bowl sitting in the dining room fermenting for about seven to ten days, to two to three to five to seven. So their obsession was not a secret. And so naturally I was observing that. I was like, all right, well, my parents are apparently really into this. But again, I'm going to sit this one out. So for somebody listening, if you have never seen a SCOBY, what is it? Symbiotic culture of bacteria and yeast, right? Okay. It's... It's very strange looking. It's bizarre. And, yes, and um, who and you have to, you know, have someone has to kind of get yeah. you a scoby, gift it to you exactly. Correct. I think that's the way to go. And um, it, it's very unusual looking. It is. It's sort of like when you went to science class and there were things in the jars and such. Yeah, it looks like an amoeba. It yes. looks like. I mean, it looks like something from. Um, you know, from a sci-fi film. <laughs> right. And did, was she playing around at all, at all experimenting with flavor or adding things, or was it just straight up? No, it was straight up. Okay. And by the way, my parents got their first culture from this lovely man named Dave Otto, who's still alive today and owns the Beverly Hills Juice Club, which is a fresh press juicery on Beverly Boulevard in Orlando. And he actually gifted a SCOBY to my parents because his wife, who got the first SCOBY in the Himalayas and had traveled back, was raving about it, but he was a cynic. And he approached my parents and he said, listen, you're good friends, you're good customers, because my dad would go there every day on the way to work to get his pressed juice. He said, please try this because I'm not buying it. I believe fresh pressed juice is the best you can get. And so he turned my parents on to kombucha, and that's actually how it got started. But they still, for the first two years, didn't know anything. Because keep in mind, this is the 90s. There's no internet. There's no Google. Right. So you can't really look things up. Interesting. So it's, it was really very much a different world back then. And what is it? It's about, I, I don't know what they say. It's sort of, and I don't know the amount of liquid, but you need sort of like five grams or more of sugar to kind of get yeah. the party started, right? Yeah. I, I don't know. Like when, and it's, I know it's, you know, the SCOBY eats it. People have to realize like it's, you know, it's what's in the water versus what the SCOBY takes. Oh, yeah. It's all these different things. So they just kind of learned and winged it and then yeah. improved and noticed like, oh, if we went longer here or shorter there, this yes. is what happened. Yes. Yeah. I mean, they were just, again, they had no playbook because there was no such thing as kombucha back then. Right. And so they just kind of followed their heart and listened to their body, which is really important. And that's why I know we were talking about this earlier is that our body talks to us. Mm. You just have to make sure you're listening. And I, I think my parents were very good at listening, and that's really where their passion for kombucha began. But now they're doing this for two years. I'm still like, all right, they're you know, just doing this on their own, whatever. But what really caught my attention is when my mother was diagnosed mm. with breast cancer. Because that, of course, was a very fateful day. And I remember it like it was yesterday. And she took me and my brothers and my father out to the backyard at the house that we live, where is the house that I ultimately started making kombucha, and said, you know, boys, I um, went to the doctor today. I thought I was pregnant, and so I wanted to get checked, and it turns out I am not pregnant. But there is something growing inside me, and apparently it's a very large tumor in my right breast. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about the size of a golf ball. And she said the doctors believe that I've had it for four years, and she said I actually kind of knew it was there, but I thought it was a muscle. 
because my mom, we had this very big Doberman pincher that she would walk up the hill, and so she thought that was a muscle from pulling a dog, but it wasn't. And she said that the doctors told me today that they don't think my future looks very bright. They said, um, because this is a fast-growing type of cancer, and because I've had it for about four years, mm. they're almost convinced that it has already metastasized and moved to my, my bones and the rest of my body. And she broke down, and I broke down. Um, because, you know, like I said, I'm the baby in the family, so my mother is my everything. And so with that news, I felt that I had been diagnosed myself. Mm-hmm. So it was, it, was, it was a dark couple of weeks while we were waiting for subsequent information to come our way. But interesting enough, two weeks later, we went back into the backyard. My mother gathered us again and said, boys, I have some good news. I was called into the doctor's office today, and I was freaked out because they only call you in when they have bad news. But they told me, Mrs. Dave, we brought you in, not because we have bad news, but because we actually have good news, but we need to learn more. And then they basically unpacked everything and said, you know, we thought your condition was this, we thought your future was going to be that, but we were wrong. Your tumor is mostly precancerous, it hasn't spread, and we're, we're marveling at your situation, and we want to know, is there anything unusual that you've been doing that perhaps has played a role in your body's resilience to this cancer. My mother said, I exercise, I'm vegetarian, and for the last two years I've been drinking this pungent tasting tea, and it makes me feel great. And so you can imagine the look on the doctor's faces, because again, this is the 90s, and luckily the, the medical community is now accepting and in many ways endorsing natural ways of healing yourself, but back then not so much. So they basically said, Mrs. Dave, whatever it is you're doing, Continue to do it because your condition is miraculous. And those were the fateful words that came out of my mother's mouth that all of a sudden opened up my eyes. And I said, all right, this weird thing called kombucha has done something. And because I'm a very curious individual, I was Mm -hmm. like, I need to learn more. And I started making it myself. I started drinking it. And even at the young age of 15, I started to feel its power. And that was the moment. That's all I needed is that... This helped my mom, potentially, is helping me, certainly, mm-hmm. and could help others. And did, that was my North Star. Did you, before this, I mean, I get the sense that you're, you know, you probably were not an average teenager, but did you have any window of space in there where you were rebellious or, you know, whatever, you know, take on that attitude? Because you are, you, you feel very focused to me and you know, there's a control element that we're going to get into. But was there ever a time that you were just like freewheeling? A hundred percent. There was probably two major, call it chapters of my life, Mm -hmm. where um, I was not on a good path. And so one was just being a baby, right? When you're a baby, you feel like you can do anything. Yeah, And you look like your mom. (laughs) Thank you. <laughs> I mean, you know, your mom's a beautiful woman, but you, she's probably like, oh, look at my guy. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So that certainly helped. So I got, you know, basically everything I wanted, which, mm-hmm. you know, is dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, not that I was spoiled, but I just knew that I could charm my way into any situation or out of any situation. Um, so I think that, that created a little bit of friction in the household as people thought I was the favorite. People thought, you know, I could do no wrong. I was untouchable, all of that. But I didn't take Meaning two, your brothers. My brothers, yeah. exactly. Yeah, and even my father, to be honest. My mom, yeah. I obviously could do no wrong. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when things really changed is actually, ironically, around the time kombucha came into the household. So the same time 
that kombucha came into the household, I was, um, I'm just going to say, kicked out of the closet. Yeah. So I was a, a young gay boy. Um, you know, being a Scorpio, I, I pride myself in being very self-aware. So, you know, I knew who I was at a very, very young age. I think I was actually having this conversation the other day with a friend. It was first grade that I knew who I was and what I was drawn to. Mm -hmm. So, you know, getting kicked out of the closet. What does that mean? Like some friend ratted you out or something? Um, the long and the short is my father was married before my mother and had two kids. Oh. And so, you know, sometimes when one marriage ends and another one starts and there's kids involved there can be some resentment yeah. and even some jealousy. Well, you got to live with the dad. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I, you know, my mom's perhaps perceived as the homewrecker and I'm the byproduct of the homewrecker. Yeah. And you look like the homewrecker. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So one of them sort of so said, my, oh, yeah. you know, GT. Yeah, my sister. My sister. Oh, wow. Yeah. She confided in me. She shared some personal desires that she had and then used that as an, uh, you know, an entryway to kind of open me up and share so, and encourage me to share my kind of desires, and I did. And then she took that little piece of information and just ran with it. And next thing you know, I'm, I'm hearing stories about myself of doing things and participating in things that I was like, guys, I am a, barely a teenager. Like, I was going to say, is this like 12 years old, 13 years 13 old? 13 years old, yeah. And so it was hard. And, you know, again, not to go down this rabbit hole yeah. because we could talk about it for a long time. Sure. Is, you know, back then at least, and even now, is anything that's different or anyone that's different, people fear what they don't understand, and they're, you know, scared by it, and they, you know, sometimes process it through resentment and anger. And so the, re the reason why I'm telling you this is that, so at the age of 13, I went from, like, the baby that could do no wrong to, like, oh, God, this, what is this devil child? Which was really crazy because, again, I said my parents were religious and spiritual, so you can understand that maybe I violated some kind of religious principle, but in the spiritual world, not so much. But my parents were so blinded by what was going on, they were just struggling to process it. And so virtually overnight, I became an outsider, the black sheep, you know, watch what he's doing. He's going to be engaging in bad behavior. And I was basically, they had, the jury had ruled that I was rather a bad kid mm. because of this choice, yeah. quote unquote. Or, um, and that I could, I could, or I was just deviant or something like that. Right. Okay. So three things come up for me that I just, I'd love to get your take on. One is obviously your mom are connected very strongly yes. in this moment you are. Yes. Didn't she know? She knew. And that's what's so interesting. I about mean, inside. Oh, hundred percent. Like if you knew in first grade, your mom knew in first grade for you too. Don't you think? <laughs> no, I'm just curious. No, listen, my mom put stockings and heels on me when I was like eight years old. Right. So like when this all happened, there was a time when let's call it the, the temperatures uh, chilled out and I, yeah. and we was able to have a little bit more con candid conversations with my parents, especially with my mom. And I was like, mom, why are you surprised? Like, I think I have all the qualities, but again, they think it's a phase. They think it's a choice. Yeah. And then ultimately, and this is what my mom said, and good news, she eventually came around, but it took some time, yeah. is she said, I, I just want you to have a happy, normal life. Yeah, parents get weird when we're scared for our children. Yeah. I mean, let's face it. It's, and kids think, oh, they're mad at me, and they just don't realize they're deathly afraid yeah. for their kid. Yeah. So the second thing it makes me think, though, is it got you prepared to enter into things that, so for example... You, when I hear that, then I think, oh, you were perfectly primed to sell kombucha. Yeah. Because you're like, 
it's outside, it's strange, you don't know what it is. Oh, yeah. I'm your guy. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like we go through these things in life and we don't realize they are merely helping us if we can survive it correctly without hurting ourselves for something probably super powerish later, which is like, oh, this seems, you know, um, unusual or weird or strange to you. Perfect. No problem. I've heard this before. Yes. And then the last thing I was just curious, because now you have your own children, Sometimes, and I've, I've thought about this a lot for my kids, is sometimes when I think, oh, they're those things, like, oh, let's say in your case for that very short period of time, like, oh, it's this, he's being deceitful or there's some uh, deceptive behavior or something. In a way, it's like, is that chicken and egg? Like, did you start to think maybe you were because that was the energy being thrown at you? Do you know what I mean? Like sometimes I guess I'm bringing it up as a precautionary tale because a lot of times our kids go through things and because we don't understand it, we will label it. And then all of a sudden the kid goes, oh, I must be those things. And they're not. Yeah. Well, you know what actually would save me? And I'm incredibly grateful for it for a lot of reasons, but specifically this one that we're talking about is because I was raised to understand what does it mean to live a, a good life? And, you know, this is why religions can sometimes be problematic because there's all this red tape. But when it comes to spirituality, it's like if you just love one another, that's it. If you cause no harm and just love one another, if you're doing that, you're good. And so that honestly is what kept me brave and resilient throughout this entire time is as my parents were telling me, like, what you're doing is wrong, what you're doing is dangerous. I said, but what am I doing? First of all, I'm technically not doing anything <laughs> because I'm a non-practicing yeah, gay exactly. male. Yeah, like, I'm a virgin, FYI. A right? Number <laughs> yeah. one. But number two is, I mean, and I said this to him, I said, it, it, it's the equivalent of you being angry that I'm attracted to blondes. Right? That's it. Yeah. And I'm not harming anybody. I'm not harming myself. Of course, the HIV conversation came up. And I just said, said listen, mom, dad, you're going to have to trust that just like I'm not going to do drugs and I'm not going to engage in criminal behavior, you have to know that even sexually, I'm going to be responsible. Right. And little by little, as we continue to have those conversations and I continue to prove myself, which again, starting my business was an incredible moment and event in my life, of course, and certainly in theirs, because I was proving them that I can and want to do something with my life. Mm. And being gay... And being this outcast, as you just said a few minutes ago, gave me the bravery to say, honestly, I have nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. I don't have any friends. My parents don't even like me right now. So dropped out of high school, Yeah, took my GED, started making kombucha. And just like you said, people would, when I would, because my number one form of advertising is I would go to the local health food stores and sample it. And sometimes people would spit it up in my face. Well, I mean, listen, you've also made this, you you've done a beautiful job of of bringing the old to the new and understanding that a market is still wants it to taste good. Yeah. But I would imagine that the early formulas were more vinegary flavored than they are now. Absolutely. So it it is interesting. Uh, so what's inside of you as a teenager that you're like, oh yeah, no, this is a good idea. Well, first of all, I mean the fact that I was able to hear how it helped my mother, Mm -hmm. and then personally witness how it helped me. And then, because my parents are, you know, proud and fanatic about anything that they believe in, like they're evangelists, if you will, they would turn on friends and family members, and people would also flip for it. Even the most narrow-minded person that 
you know, doesn't put anything that's healthy in their mouth. If you can get kombucha, even just like four ounces down, you go, wow, I feel different Mm -hmm. and I feel better. And so it was witnessing that in conjunction with the fact that I had nothing to lose in my personal life. That was like, I'm going to do this and I believe in it. And candidly, I was too young to think of life or this opportunity as a business endeavor. In many ways, it was just this labor of love, this partner, if you will, this weird and strange partner Mm -hmm. that I could hold hands with and walk down a very lonely path into this new world that I was trying to create for myself. And as I said, I had nothing to lose. Yeah. I, I do want to say, though, if you if you look at your timeline, even though I know it's hard and, and we're going to go a little deeper into that, um, things happen in a good way. You had traction early. So I think also there was like a positive reinforcement. You did have enough early success within, you know, a few years that it was like, oh, yeah, this is something. Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, a case in point is within like the first month of selling my kombucha on the shelves of Air One, mm-hmm. which is my first store, by the way. So shout out to yeah. Air One. Um, you know, I would get feedback from consumers who would call the toll-free number on the, the label, which, by the way, was an answering machine in my parents' bedroom. Was that bedroom. George or was that Thomas? <laughs> right? there, there, but yeah. George is the delivery guy, I yeah. think, right? Is that yeah. it? There's George, Jorge, and GT. <laughs> I was a man of many personalities. Yeah. Um, but people would call and they would say, hey... Um, so I was in uh, Air One and I saw this product and it looked a little interesting. So I bought it and I drank half a bottle. And I'm going to tell you, it was very different, but I feel great. What do you think it is? What is it? Well, I think what it is is one of the many beautiful things about kombucha is that it's liquid life. And that can't ever be underestimated. Because if you think about food, true forms of food, things that grow from the ground, things that have this life force, this energy, this vibration, this frequency, that is really the best form of nutrition. Not to dismiss vitamins and nutrients and all that stuff that is also important, but it's also the quality of where where that food comes from and its current state when you ingest it. And kombucha is one of the few things that you can find in a package that's still living and breathing and has these you know, this life force, if you will. And I think that's what people resonate with. And that is what people would say is like, it just, it's made me alive. I feel, I feel awakened. I take a multivitamin, just trying to support my health. And also, you know, just trying to bridge some of those gaps that maybe I'm missing in my diet. It's not always easy. And I've been taking Ritual multivitamin for about 10 months. And I really like this brand because it's clean. They're vegan friendly. Um, they've got the highest quality nutrients and the their nutrients are actually bioavailable, which means your body will not only be able to understand what to do with it and absorb it and use it so nothing's wasted, but that you won't find some of this shady stuff that you see in a lot of vitamins like sugars. There's no sugars or GMOs or major allergens, synthetic fillers, and artificial colorants. For me personally, one little nice extra kind of trait that they do is they have this time release capsule. So after you take your vitamins, you get this hint of mint. It's not too strong, but it just sort of helps you avoid all those weird vitamin burps, if you know what I mean. And the other thing about this is you'll hear that after about three vitamins pills, the drop off of people consistently taking vitamins is, it's huge. It's like 80%. So you can get all these high quality nutrients, including vitamin D3, really important, in just two daily pills. So all their ingredients are traceable. They've got a visible supply chain so you know where your stuff is coming from. They also consider, hey, where are you at in your life? So they have it for women, they have it for men, and they even have it for teens. So 
The other thing is they're trying to make this easy for you. So they will deliver to your door every month with free shipping always. And you can, you know, snooze it or cancel your subscription anytime. You're not locked in. They make it very, very easy and they have a great offer for you today. So if you want to get key nutrients without all the scary BS, Ritual is offering my listeners 10% off during your first three months. And all you have to do is visit Ritual, that's R-I-T-U-A-L.com slash Gabby to start your ritual today. I can say I don't, I don't drink alcohol and there have been days even, and I don't mean the high alcohol, con, you know, the content, high alcohol content ones. Um, there were days where I was like, no food, have a kombucha and just be like, oh, <laughs> you know, like, and literally it's almost like I, I have this running joke with Laird. I'm like, cause I just grew up in the, in the Caribbean and a lot of people drank a lot of uh-huh, alcohol uh-huh. in excess. And I just watched it and I thought, uh doesn't seem to be going anywhere really good. So I just didn't. I don't have yeah. an issue with it. Yeah, I it's just not your thing. If people enjoy wine or do whatever, I'm like, yeah, knock yourself out. But I just didn't. So when I have a kombucha in a certain state, I'm always like, <laughs> you know, you feel like you're getting away with some midday afternoon, um, you know, kind of treat that yeah. also you don't pay a price for. Yeah. So let's get, just because I find the process very interesting, I'll, I have to share something with you really quick. And I, I have um, some friends that have a... a an acquaintance that have a a kombucha company as well. So for a while, we were going to do something with Laird Superfood, but only in kegs, right? We Mm -hmm. weren't going to be messing around with... uh, Bottles. Yeah, because you guys, I mean, that's like, like I said, this is a serious thing. Yeah, it's a commitment. It's no joke. And the fact that you do it in Los Angeles is like a whole other beast I want to talk to you about. (laughs) It's like, holy cow. Um, So we go to Austin, uh-huh. Uh, I went with our food scientist and we messed around with just kombuchas for kegs for businesses. We were working for businesses only. Right. Yeah. And so for fun, I just will share this with you. We asked them because we use coconut sugar in our products um, because of the minerals. And it's just out of everything that we have found for us in our brand with flavor and ingredients. That was what was going to work. Yes. And so we said, just for fun, can you do one jar, one SCOBY, one container with coconut sugar. The SCOBY was like five times thicker. Really? Yeah. So I don't, I just want you to take that and mess around okay. with it. Okay. Because let's say it was like, let's say it was like 10 layers with the sugar yeah. on the starters. Yeah. This was like 50 layers. And wow. so I don't know if it works and if the party can still go, uh-huh. but I thought it was just worth sharing that with you because That's really interesting. I don't know why. Maybe it's the minerals. I, I'm not sure, but so, so who, how did you get, did you have your mom's first, explain to people how the SCOBY sort of lives on and on. Yeah. Well, you know, it's beautiful about kombucha. Again, one of the many things is that it really is a source of life and a form of life. And so like, you know, a, a fruit that you cut open and there's seeds, you can use that seed to grow something else. And so with kombucha, it's very similar that each batch of kombucha that starts with a singular culture by the time you're finished fermenting it, which can be anywhere from seven to 10 days, after that, you, you have two cultures. Because what's really happening is the first culture utilizes the tannins in the tea, the carbohydrates of the, the sugar, and consumes it, and then in return creates all these enzymes and probiotics and organic acids to grow, but also to reproduce. And so now you have two. And so you essentially, and that's why, again, kombucha is so special, is it's self-sustaining, it's very prolific, and it, it wants to be shared. Mm. And so, like, I, to this day, have never purchased a culture 
from Come someone on. else. It's really? always been the same strain of culture from that first one that came from the Beverly Hills Juice Club back in 1993. It's crazy. Do they do they have sort of like a how many batches and then it's the part that's over? Yes. Yeah. They, so like everything in life, you know, it has its yeah. life cycle. Um, so we do have cultures that at a certain point they kind of age out, meaning they get super dark for being stained by the tea, and then they slowly start to deteriorate, that even when you pick them up, mm-hmm. they almost like pieces of them fall out. And so then that's when we retire them, and we use them for mulch. So we, we essentially donate our retired cultures yeah. to farmers and others to use them, because it still has nutritional value, you just can't use it to make the best kombucha. And it's, are you using uh, black tea and green tea? What are your teas that are the base for your products? So we use organic green and black tea. And that was something that I developed early on because when my father was making kombucha, it was almost overpowering, right? You had to Wait, like, what pin- does that mean? Well, it was almost like pure apple cider vinegar. Oh, yeah. So you oh, couldn't yeah. drink it. You could sip it or, or take a, a shot. Yeah, or yeah. take a shot. And so, you know, naturally I was like, all right, how do I resolve this? How do I not compromise its potency and nutritional qualities, but still make it more palatable? Because how good is something that's so nutritious, but it's so bad that you, you're not going to take it, yeah, right? Three people are. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's what I did. I tried to study this you know, recipe, if you will, that black tea really gives kombucha its bite and its bold flavor. Mm-hmm. And then green tea, which by the way, is the same plant. Black tea is just fermented green tea. And so what happens is the green tea gives it a little bit of that champagne quality or a little bit of this lighter and brighter note. Mm-hmm. So we use about a little bit of a blend, not quite half and half, maybe 60% black tea and 40% green tea. And then we use organic sugar. I am going to look into your coconut sugar. I just don't mess fascinated. around with it. Yeah. Just see what happens. And, and like, just if you put it side by side, if you put two scobies in at the same time and see. And just study them. How they go. Yeah. yeah. I thought it'd be worth it. If yeah. You're informed enough. Well, that's the thing. And, you know, over the last two and a half decades, we're always still learning stuff. I mean, we even play music for our batches and we learn that they respond to music. They respond to certain energies. I mean, they're like a living thing. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I mean, you know, at my company, we, we consider ourselves more farmers than beverage manufacturers because at the end of the day, mm. we're just stewards of this cultivation of this living thing that is going to reproduce on its own, but we just kind of hold its hand and, lend, and let nature be the star. So you go into Air One and then, um, let's see, you're in Whole Foods, which I guess it had in 1999 about like 100 stores, yes. something like that. Um, I also love the fact that your mom would do sampling for you and because you were young also kind of almost your parents would maybe pretend to sort of be the front people a little bit. Yes. You know, I think a lot of younger people that are pursuing business sort of feel that a little bit prejudice, like, oh, what do you know? Or you're young. Would would you have any, you know, kind of wisdom to that? Because I think that happens to a lot of young people that are motivated, they're driven, they have a good idea, and sometimes people don't take them seriously yet. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it's this weird combination of being humble yet confident. So like, you know, I pride myself on being very humble and, and humility, I think, is key. Because, you know, you may not know everything. I don't think anybody does. So you want to just walk in with an open heart and an open mind. And when people kind of realize that, it allows them to drop their guard. But at the same time, you have to contribute, which means if you have an idea, mm-hmm. if you have an opinion, if you've had an observation, share it. And through that kind of interaction with people is what I learned early on is how I was able to overcome this potential issue of people dismissing me and saying, oh, as you know, he's just a kid. 
Right. And also you're trying, not only are you a kid, but you're trying to educate them on a whole new type of drink. Yes. So it's not even like, it's not like you're selling something that people already know about. They go, oh yeah, this is just a different version of that. Right. You're going, oh, and by the way, on top of it. So your, your parents were instrumental Yes, very in, much. In helping you. So how what does the growth look like? So you're doing it at home. How do you how are you moving the liquid? Because that's the thing. The SCOBY, it's big, the liquid, it's hard to manage, it's yeah. fizzy, it bubbles over. How do you at that time even bottle the stuff? Uh simply by hand. <laughs> so what happened I mean, the best analogy, and I've used it a lot, so forgive me if you've heard it before, no. is you know, I saw my first call it three to five years of being a single parent, where I just got pregnant with this SCOBY, this kombucha, this business idea, this opportunity, whatever you want to call it. And I felt in many ways I had chosen it, but also it had chosen me. Mm-hmm. And just like, again, I'm not a woman, obviously, so I don't know what it's like to be pregnant, but I have an idea. Yeah. And especially from what my mom told me of how she treated her pregnancy, is that it's, a, it's a commitment that everything you do and anyone that you're around it plays a, a role in this life that you're bringing into the world. And so for the first, certainly for the first two years, but even for the first five years, I was like this single parent, overprotective parent that just really wanted to raise my child to be a great human being. I didn't want to raise my child to be a celebrity, to be an athlete, to be famous, to be rich. Right. That's not a parent's job, by the way. Exactly. It isn't. Yeah. So it, I, just, I just wanted... Wait till you learn that for real, my friend. <laughs> No, wait till you see, as someone who's been so highly successful, because it's, you know this because you have two very young children, new, the, the, lim- the unlimited possibilities for both of them, yeah. and how we have to control ourselves. Right. Oh, they are going to play music and do 19 languages, and they're going to be super athletes, and they're going to be, you know, spiritual and kind, and, you know... Um, and then when you realize, like, oh, that's... I used to tell my girls that all the time. I'm not your coach. I'm your mom. Yeah. And um, it bites you in the ass in certain ways because then you're like, I should have pushed them more in certain ways. Yeah. But to your point, um, so you're saying that you started this business for the sake of doing this business and doing it well. Yes. Not, I'm going to crush it. Right. I'm going to have my own facility. Yeah. I'm going to... I'm going to be three time, three X sales in the next 18 months. Right. You, that not, well, you were not, also... That's all new. I think... Yeah. I'd love to know if that if certain things and obviously the market's way more competitive, but your business still has more than like forty percent of the market uh, space. And I I'm, I'm, I also really admire that you continue to innovate yeah. your flavors, um, and you have your uh, aqua kefir, which I actually it's interesting. I don't like fruity flavored drinks, but when I have that, I don't mind it because that has a different feeling. It What's does. going on with that compared well, to the kombucha? Because you do feel different after you drink it. Something about oh, that. What is it? Well, see, that's a great question, and that's something that I, I think the world needs to know more of. Is that you know, fermented foods are so many different kinds, right? So kombucha certainly is a fermented tea, which is a lacto excuse me, which is an acetobacter ferment, which gives it this kind of vinegary sourness, mm-hmm. which it makes it high in organic acids and things that detoxify. But then water kefir, which is our aqua kefir, is a lacto ferment, not lactose, so it doesn't have any dairy, mm-hmm. but it's a different ferment, so it's not sour, and it has a different variety of probiotics. So it has, for instance, bifida, which is not present in kombucha. And they're learn- we're learning more and more that there's 
hundreds, if not thousands, of different strains of probiotics, and they all play in their own way different roles in how we feel, how we behave, our health. So with aquakefir, for instance, you feel that they, they've done studies where bifida and the cultures in water kefir enhance your mood. So it's really nice, and it has a natural kind of hydrating quality about it. It has no tea base, so it feels different even when you drink it. And again, that's what I believe you know, my mission is, is to not be a one-trick pony and just say, all right, I brought kombucha into the world, period. Yeah. It's, I brought kombucha in the world, which is one of the many things out there that I know the world needs to improve their lives and uplift their health. Mm-hmm. So you, you, you go on your way, and then where, when you have to move, you, your parents are like, yo, you can't be growing this stuff in our house. Yeah. Well, well actually, there's a story there, if you don't mind. I want, that's why you're here. So, so what <laughs> happened was, is, you know, as I mentioned, my parents were kind of um, very spiritual and very kind of unconventional with their thinking. And so what came along with that is they were big into psychics. So a psychic actually told my father, when all his kids were very, very young, that you're going to lose a son at the age of 22. And he's a reckless son, and he's going to die before he turns 23. So interesting enough, my father thought it was his first child from his first marriage, Jason. The mean sister's brother. Yes, yes. And so did everything to quote-unquote save him. Took him to India, where this holy man was, chanted, prayed, meditated, everything. And Jason's 22nd birthday came and went, and he turned 23, and 24, and 25, and so forth. But now cut to, about a handful years later, my brother Justin, who, in retrospect, was candidly as reckless as Jason, but just in a different way. Mm. So it was a little bit more subtle, not as obvious. Ten days after Justin turned 22, he was diagnosed with a very, very severe form of cancer. Now keep in mind, this is about a year into me starting my business. Mm. So you have this unusual situation of my mother just beat her breast cancer. I'm now, I just, I'm overcoming the gay bullying situation. So I have this new lease on life. But then Justin, the middle child, gets diagnosed with this fatal form of cancer that for the next six months, his life, his strength, his vitality is slowly being pulled from him. And so the reason why I bring this up, I'm not here to bring the conversation no, down, well. is that you know, being 16, 17, witnessing my brother, who's not that much older than I, slowly die, really opened up my eyes even wider than they were before, which is life is short, life is sweet. You don't want to be on your deathbed and have regrets. Right. Because that's what I saw in my brother's eyes, is that like many of us in his teenage years, Cars, girls, parties, drugs, whatever. That's what he thought was important. But when you're facing death, you realize it's not. So that gave me a sense of urgency, number one. Number two, it kind of forced a new environment on me. Because six months after Justin passed away, my parents split up. That happens a lot. I think a death of a child... You know, people go to their corners and lick their own wounds. That yeah. It's hard for, I think, some couples to go through it together. I think it's, I agree. you know, it, it's a very hard thing. So do you think that that, um, that changing of that dynamic of your family um, 
what how, what do you think that because then you and your mom probably were more Even, of a unit correct yeah, yeah I would imagine yeah that's exactly what happened so many things came out of it one is it kind of reinforced this bravery that I need to have. I felt even more alone. So I was like, my household, my yeah. parents are kind of crumbling right now. I don't want to be in the house while it crumbles, yeah. number one. So that's kind of a personal, emotional point of view. Then from a physical business standpoint, I was like, wait, I'm making my kombucha in this house. And they were talking about selling the house and divorcing. So I was like, all right, I need to do something about this. So that was the catalyst that forced me to move out, which is a daunting experience, by the way, because it's one thing to have your kind of quote unquote little hobby kombucha company yeah. from your parents' house, which you have like no risk, no rent, none of that. And then now you have to like physically go to work. You have to pay rent. Yeah. You, you have, have to, overhead. You have overhead. It's no joke. It's no joke. And so that was, again, I was forced to make that decision. But because all these circumstances behind me were pushing me in that direction, I, I just did it and didn't even think about it. But it was that moment. Again, if I was in my 20s or 30s and I had a relationship or a job or a mortgage or whatever, like I probably wouldn't have made that decision because it was high, high risk. But in my mind at the time, I had nothing to lose. And so it was one of those other catalysts. So who, does somebody co-sign for you? Like, how does that work? You know, it's so interesting. young and you have no credit. <laughs> like, what happens? Well, luckily, I saved every single cent of the first two years. And then my father's friend called me up and said, hey, I'm in the Los Angeles Times classified section, and there's a food processing facility by uh, Crenshaw and like Rosecrans or something. And I was like, um, isn't that where the LA riots were? I was going to say good neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, good neighborhood. <laughs> he's like, maybe, but that doesn't matter. Right. And he's like, you need to come and see it. And I went and I saw it, and the stars aligned. Like the landlord was incredibly kind. He didn't ask for me. How to, old are you? I was 17. <laughs> Yeah. So and he took and a chance like, on me. And you're already boyish. Yeah. So it's not like you're 17. Right. And I know. look like a man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, hi. Exactly. Amazing. Yeah. And that's, again, that's why, you know, I feel that in many ways things happen for a reason. Sure. And you just have to lead with your heart and be open-minded and just be open to what is coming your way. Um, but still have an optimistic attitude, but still also be ready to encounter some challenges. Yeah. And I was fortunate at that time to just have doors open for me without me even asking. And how I feel long blessed. could you stay there at that place? Could you could it handle the amount of manufacturing? And how do you, oh and by the way, where do you learn? So this is the thing I wanna move in I wanna add on. You're moving along, you get your GED. There's no way you know how to be a CEO, right? You you you're the you're the founder, it's your idea, so you understand the DNA. How do you move through and learn sort of these other elements? And then there's always manufacturing. How yeah. do, you, do you align yourself with people? How, where did you get these tools? Because this is what a lot of entrepreneurs go through. Yeah. Well, you know what it was? Is first of all, I, I, I think I'm like fiercely observant and I'm obsessed with details. And so those two combined, I'm always studying everything. And kind of like I said about my mother, in many ways I inherited that, that why? Why do you do it this way? Why is this important? Why don't you do it this other way? And I learned I only had one job really before I started my company, and that was working at a restaurant. And I must say I was appalled by the conditions of lack of cleanliness, by my standards at least, mm -hmm. in the, the restaurant's kitchen. 
you know, whole heads of lettuce sitting on the floor for hours and hours and stuff just on the ceiling, on the walls. And so basically I said, all right, if that's considered good by health department and, you know, other standards, I'm going to be better than that. And if I'm better than that, I'm never going to have an issue. So I always treated everything that I did as if I was making it from home, making it for a loved one, mm-hmm. making it as if it's like a sacred ceremonial thing that I'm doing that's intended to help and never hurt somebody. So I always had, even to a certain degree, really, really high standards that were even at some point unrealistic. And it became a challenge initially because I was so obsessed with quality. I didn't want to hire anybody. I wanted to do everything. You know, I I was reluctant to even distribute my products or deliver my products into areas that I couldn't physically visit. So that was where the good and the bad happened. The good is that I was able to maintain quality and work out all the bugs Mm. before they became bugs. But at the same time, I was inadvertently suppressing my business, which in retrospect was still okay. But it's early on. Yeah, but in the more traditional business trajectory, people could say, oh, he was slow and fearful or timid or whatever. But as I said, everything happens for a reason. I think that's really where I, I built my foundation that made me solid. So then when, call it year five, when I started expanding my distribution, I had a real strong footing and I could navigate the ups and the downs and the temptation even that comes your way when you're growing a business and you're learning as you go. When you say temptation, like cutting costs or taking on investors or what kind of temptations? Honestly, all of the above. Yeah. Because, you know, when you start to do something that's becoming popular, people come out of nowhere and they're like, hey, I want to give you money. Hey, I want to do this. Hey, I think you should add more sugar. Hey, why don't you put it in a plastic bottle? I mean, I had a friend that was working for another beverage company at the time. He was much older than I. And he said, hey, like your glass is 30 cents a bottle. I know that. But my company, it's four cents to put it in plastic. Like think of, and of course they put out the calculator and they're doing their math of like, you could save all this. And it's like, but am I really saving? Because if I'm cutting corners and I'm cheapening my product, that's not going to work long term. Yeah, I know you can't put that in there. Yeah. Like, it's not about the customer has a positive response to the flavor. Yeah. We know it's not great for you. Yeah. It's, and it doesn't matter. You're always going to find some scientist who can tell you it's okay. Oh, 100%. 100%. And my favorite thing is, it's like, because it's that on the jar or the bag, that's not what happens once you eat it or drink it. Yep. That's not what's happening in your body. Yep. Okay, so you, you have your own place. Who's your first employee? Oh. <laughs> who can handle? Who can handle you, GT? Who 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 was there? You know what it was? His name was Wences, which is an unusual name. Wences. Yeah, he was a, a young Latin gentleman, and he this, came in. This isn't the one who moved through your company, is he? No. Okay. No, no, no. I love that. Yeah, that one happened about ten years later. But you know what I would do is I would. <laughs> it sounds silly. I would when I would interview people, I would want to know like their life story, like what turns you on, what turns you off. Astrologically, I want to know oh, your come chart. On. No, yes. you did not. I did. Twenty years old, being like, "What's your sign?" Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and by the way, that's even just a litmus test in its own because if you don't laugh at me and think that like I'm like some warlock, um, that means we're good. That means like right. we're vibing. If you get squirmy, we have a problem. Yeah, exactly. If you get right. uncomfortable, that means we're probably gonna have some issues. And so he came in, and I, I get I got a very strong impression that he took a lot of pride in his work and he had kind of this nurturing quality which is a a, a kind of a big criteria when you're making kombucha you it's not transactional you can't just do it to do it it has to be a labor of love and so that was my first employee and that little by little gave me the confidence to semi step away 
and do a little bit more of the sales or do a little bit more of this. And I could give him certain aspects of the production and the fermentation, but not all of it, but enough. You mean because it's secrets? Well, it's secret and it's sensitive. Right. I mean, like even just the person who holds the culture and places it into the vessel, it's almost like who's baptizing your baby? So it's something like that. So I put put arguably overemphasis on every single step. And so, again, it, it was a slow and steady journey. But I have one funny story, interesting story that I'll share. So I think my fifth employee was going to be a manager. And um, he fell in love with kombucha. He was everything that I said a maker of kombucha should be, like nurturing, thoughtful, kind, compassionate. Was he more hippie? Kind? He was. Okay. Yeah. And, but if the story goes south a little bit, he ends up dying. Oh, no. He had, he, yeah, so he came to me one week and he said, hey, can I talk to you from a you know, personal place? And I said, yes. He said, um, I, I think my, my wife's having an affair. And so um, I needed like a day off. And I said, absolutely, take two days off. Take as many days off as you. He's like, no, no, I just need a day off. I just need to process this. So he took his day off that weekend. He died of a heart attack. Oh, no. And my mom said he died of a broken heart. Yeah, of course. Now, here's the interesting part, which is, again, reinforces my belief and philosophy that making kombucha is ceremonial, and it's incredibly intimate. Every batch that he had touched in this, call it, week or two, all turned into complete mold. I had to throw everything away. And what it almost was is that the batches and the cultures... Took his sadness. Took his sadness, took his energy. And it's just, it's almost like they did the opposite of what they normally do. Instead of live and thrive, they kind of died and wilted. Do you have any employees that just make super happening kombucha? Like they are gregarious and like they got it going on and their kombucha comes... That that mother is like rocking and rolling. Yes. Come on. Yeah. No, you have to. I mean, that's the criteria. Honestly, there's there's no exception. It's rather that or nothing. All right, you guys sell everywhere. Um, how, I just have a curiosity. So you start in California. How do you create a market for yourself across the country? How does that work? Well, you know, we are in different times now because right now those that yell the loudest get the attention, and that is partially to blame because of the Internet, social media, and even the fact that, and it breaks my heart to say this, Certain aspects of the health and wellness space have become incredibly transactional, where you have big food brands hiding in the shadows, being puppet masters to these brands that you would think come from entrepreneurial, passionate, health-driven, and health-focused individuals, Mm -hmm. but it's really just a disguise. So, you know, fortunately, that wasn't the case when I started my company. And so, first of all, what what happened and helped me is my product was one of the few that just was this beacon of light that just radiated from the shelf. Because keep in mind, in the 90s, what you had is Snapple, Sobe, Sobe. Gatorade, at some point, vitamin water. So all these products like were considered healthy back then. Yeah. You scratch the surface, I mean, it's like high fructose corn syrup, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So the consumer was dying for something different. And so whenever I would sample sell or merchandise my products in a store, it almost, they sold themselves. They had this almost like conversation, this language that spoke to people who had a curiosity of, I want to eat and drink better. So that was my advertising. I didn't spend a dollar on any kind of marketing. It was number one, best product ever. 
Like heart, your heart and soul goes into every single bottle, no matter what. So original is the the was, blue was the first one. Yeah. Is the first one. Yes, and it, it's it's good. It's it's very straightforward. Yeah. And what's your second flavor? So the second flavor I came out with actually was lemonade. Oh, which was so so. I must admit, but the third one was gingerade. Yeah, and that's what we were talking and about. And it's still earlier. the most popular. It is. I know that's Laird's favorite. Well, you know, it's case in point of what kombucha and candidly our food should be. It should be delicious. And nutritious. Yeah. Not about, just one or the other. What both. about Trilogy? That must do well. Come it, on. That it, label it too. No, no, listen. I mean, come on, the well, label. depending on what, what, where you look, depending on what market, yeah. what store, sometimes Trilogy is also our number one. Yeah. Yeah. It's remarkable. And you know, a little fun fact about me is my luck runs in threes. So Gingerade was my third flavor, mm-hmm. my number one, and Trilogy means three. There you go. And I'm the third born. I'm born on November 3rd and it goes on and on. <laughs> but... It, I think, you know, again, we, we are in a, a form of food ourselves, and we work a lot in powders. We only actually have um, one product with a couple SKUs that it goes through the cold chain process. How do you, you know, say to people in Chicago when nobody's had kombucha and you're getting kombucha to Chicago? How do you do that? You do it carefully. Right. And so what I mean, in cost margin, yeah, it's no, like, it's, it's insanity. How it's do insane. you do it? It's insane. Well, here's the thing. What I identify now, I understand now because you're there's big, there's demand, there's yeah. so, so much volume, all yeah. that. But I'm saying back then. Oh, 100 percent. Well, what gave me the confidence that, yes, it was going to be the path less traveled, mm-hmm. but not the path never traveled is I studied other products in called the refrigerated section of stores. And I started to look at, OK, what are their shelf lives? What is their refrigeration or handling requirements? And, and virtually immediately, I came across two very compelling, technically three really compelling examples. One was fresh juice. You know, back then you added Walla, which wasn't pasteurized. Yeah, that's and right. And some of them had a four-day shelf life. Crazy. Yeah. Right? Brave. Yeah, very brave. <laughs> then you have yogurt, which has a 30-day shelf life. Mm. And I think at the time, Stonyfield Farms was in New York, and I was in L.A., mm-hmm. and I was like, if they can do it, I can do it. And that's it. And by the way, so what we also do is to this day, which is insane, we make to order. which what? means Yeah. So what happens is like most companies, you know, they basically stockpile some kind of inventory, and they that's draw it down, and then they just replenish it. And so it allows them to expand and contract and do certain things with us. We literally ferment to the orders, and then we bottle for the orders. We don't sit on any inventory. And again, it's crazy. I can see it in your eyes. You're like, why would you do that? No, that's insane. Because you think, oh, we'll make a certain amount of the, yeah. the basic ones. Yeah. But it, it really is in an effort to make the best product possible. So you have all of these flavors. Let's, well, okay, I want to talk about guava goddess for a second. How is that so sweet and so good and with such low sugar? <laughs> we know what it is, is that you know, sometimes sweetness and flavor can be misunderstood. Mm. And so that's what is also really special about kombucha and certain fermented foods is they bring a brightness through their organic acids and these other qualities that give the liquid a bright and full body quality without the need for, you know, additives and sweeteners. Mm -hmm. So, you know, with the guava, what helps is it, you know, it's a puree. So it also has some body to it and some mouthfeel. And then it has, you know, guava in many ways is similar to grapefruit and it has this kind of bright quality. Yeah. So it can taste sweet, 
but it's not really sweet. Yeah, because I, I, I guess you're right. A lot of citrusy type things are kind of punchy. Yeah. You know, they sort of liven it up. Yeah, like lime. Lime's, lime juice is a great way to brighten something without the sugar. When you innovate, um, wait, what is it, the blue algae one? Uh-huh, the that Sacred one's Life. fascinating. You, just, you sent it here. I drank it. I okay. was like, I claimed that one. <laughs> when you're innovating and doing, are you, is it the collective? Is the team sort of going, this seems on trend and popular? These ingredients are, we're seeing a lot of, you know, you're reading more about the benefits of these ingredients or now we're big enough that we can actually explore because that's the other beautiful thing when people trust your brand they'll go i'll try that yeah um how do you you guys keep coming up with new and innovative formulas well there's really two primary paths to innovation for us one which is almost the primary and almost the exclusive is every product every flavor we create in many ways is an expression of myself and an indication of something that i'm personally passionate about because again, it's how I was raised. Mm-hmm. I was raised to believe that let thy food be thy medicine. So I, I'm almost always looking for food not to for flavor. You know, I don't eat to live. Sorry, I don't live to eat. Yeah. I eat to live. And so I want everything, even down to like the quality of water I drink, to make sure that it's doing everything that I need. Because I'm learning this more and more, especially as I grow up and get older, is Life is a game of survival. <laughs> like, and you need like the food that you ingest yeah. and the people and energy you surround yourself with is your armor that protects you or can hurt you. Yeah. And so to answer your question more pointedly is I'm always curious and searching for new ways to nourish my body, protect my body, strengthen my body, um, and just make me feel great. Because to be honest, as I said with my brother who died very young, like, I feel like um, I have a lot to do, and in many ways I feel like I'm running out of time. So I want to I sprint to my next destination, and I need fuel to get mm-hmm. me there safely and strongly. And so that's where and how I innovate. Now, the second part is myself and my team is constantly researching. And we don't really like to research things that it's like, oh, you know, this lab-made ingredient is hot right now. Because that is counterintuitive to our philosophy that food should come from as close to the earth as possible. Mm-hmm. But once in a blue moon, we'll come across like CBD or something that has an enhanced quality to it. They're like, okay, we'll study this. Yeah. So we'll play with it. But at the end of the day, we always have to answer the question is, why are we doing this? What value is this bringing to the portfolio? And more impo- importantly, what value is this bringing into our consumers' lives? Because we don't just do things to do things. Again, being a Scorpio, I don't do anything casually. So it's a commitment. Yeah. And so like what we were talking earlier, our live drink, the medicinal mushroom, like that's something that I firmly believe in. I think the world needs more of those. I think medicinal mushrooms are essentially where kombucha was 25 years ago. And it takes bravery. It takes conviction. It takes passion to take something that's obscure and borderline weird yeah. and bring it into people's lives and get them to you know, adopt and accept it into their life. Well, I think you're fortunate that you, and I know it's been a lot of work, and I, I would imagine too, because it, you're doing something that is considered uh, an old practice. And I'm always fascinated. Um, I was discussing something with an author, James Nestor, and we were talking about breathing. And he wrote a beautiful book about, and really using breath as a tool, not only for emotional health, but physical health as well. And all of, 
like very helpful. He's a curator and had studies and all these things. And I got letters from people, notes from people complaining that we didn't give the due credit um, to, you know, India pranayama. And I was like, I didn't know that all breathing was born from pranayama. I don't think it is. And I was like, why not look at what the intention of what he's doing is, which is trying, because people think when they're deep into something, like maybe there's people who made kombucha in the 60s, they're like, well, everybody knows about this. It's like, yeah, no, they don't. And they're busy and they don't have time to actually navigate it. Most people don't. A lot of people really don't take care of themselves. So it's interesting that you're, you sort of have this old world thing that you've done in this new way. And I would imagine that there have been times that people are, are, I don't know, like the interesting pushback when you're trying to do a great job at something and then people are annoyed Oh yeah, that you took kombucha and now everyone can have it, you know, like, Oh yeah. I mean, (laughs) in the first 10 years I would almost get quasi death threats because people were like, wait, you're exploiting this incredible, like free thing that everybody should have access to and they shouldn't pay for it. And I said, listen, I agree. But when it comes to growing an apple or growing an orange, like that is essentially nature doing its thing, but it takes time and energy to cultivate it, harvest it, clean it, package it, deliver it. I have to pay my employees. I have to cover freight. I have to have insurance, all these things. So no, I'm not taking something that's 100% free and just exploiting it. And which is why, by the way, for the longest time, I made a conscious effort and still do to make sure that my kombucha is available and accessible to everyone. Yeah. Because that's what I believe health food and nutrition, regardless of where you live and regard, regardless of your income, you should have access to it. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, the commitment into the product, but I, I just think it's important for people to remember that no matter what you do at whatever level with whatever intention, um, you know, there's always going to be pushback and that, that you have to be responsible to your own, you know, sort of commitment Yes. and then get on with it. So how did you, because I can't imagine that there weren't many difficult times, be it emotionally or even financially, where it's like, oh, that batch didn't make it. And oh, okay, well, we're going to scratch that and have to start over or what have you. How do you get through those times? And do you take outside do you do everything yourself or did you get to a place where you had to take outside funding or how did you um, navigate it? Cause the fact that you're private, you're the owner yes. is astounding. It's not easy, but, but you have a point. I mean, so first of all, what happens is because, and this is what saved me because I was so overprotective about kombucha in the first five years, mm-hmm. any mistake that I made was incredibly isolated. It wasn't, I never had a recall. I never had a bad batch hit the market Mm -hmm. because in fact, and to this day, I taste test every batch. Come on. Yeah. To today? Yeah. That's actually how I begin and end my day is is taste testing. No, you don't. Yeah. How do you taste that much kombucha? Well, you know what I mean? It's it's almost like a winery in that Have you gotten Alan involved? Like, oh yeah, yeah. can you help me on that side, that end, and help me in the middle? Yeah. Well, because also what happens is, listen, I'm human, and sometimes my palate can, I can get tasting fatigue. Sometimes I have to cross-reference it with someone else, whether yeah. that's my husband or yeah. people that I work with. But that saved me early on. Because okay. like, again, keep in mind, within the first two, maybe three years of me starting, Edwalla had their recall. Right. And it was for what? It was, they grew too fast. They went from using essentially crate, crated apples to apples straight from the orchard. 
And then they had a little bit of fertilizer on a couple apples, which turned into fecal matter, which turned into E. coli, and it wrecked them. And so that also was very eye-opening, and that changed me forever when, when I walked into Erwan to make my delivery, and the Edwalla cooler was empty with a sign posted saying, this has been recalled. So from a quality standpoint, knock on resin, yeah. um, we, I never luckily had to face any kind of catastrophic recall or anything of that nature that came from me not doing good work or making a good product. But that doesn't mean that it was smooth sailing. Right. Within the first 10 years, I went from this is healthy to this is poison to I can sell this to I can't sell this to this is legal. Wait, this is illegal. And you're just like, you're like, what is going on? And the only thing that saved me is that I would constantly remind myself and ask myself, why did I get started? Mm. And my answer was always, GT, you got started because you wanted to make one perfect batch that would help at least one person's life. Yeah. Have you done that? And the answer was always yes. And then, th- then from there, I'm like, well, then nothing else matters. And if this is it, if this is right. the a- end of the road, yeah. I still in my mind am victorious. I'm still successful. I'm still accomplished. And that creates, again, this, this groundedness and this semi-detached point of view that when the proverbial shit hits the fan, yeah. you're not crushed. You yeah. don't feel like the sky is falling. You have this, this confidence that, hey, this too shall pass. And in the weirdest way, I'm supposed to learn from this. And so that's what I did. And honestly, that's what I continue to do. Because as you know, the bigger you are, the harder you fall and the more targets you have on your back. And that's why I still have the same philosophy as I am doing what I'm doing to help people. And as long as I'm doing that, everything else doesn't matter. But I think the brand has done a very good job of, of uh, doing new things. It's funny. It's like it, didn't, it feels like you didn't just come in and get – listen, you got there early. I, I want to be honest. I use you guys as an example because you're the only brand that I can think of that um, is – healthful and started in the healthy space and transcended. I can go into a, a major grocery store and find it there. I, I've seen six packs of it at Costco. I can go into Trader Joe's. I can see it, right? Yes. And so because we have the same conversation in our business, which is like we want to live in those places. We want to get it to people everywhere. And it's like, who's done that? And your brand has done that. And it's, it's, it's very unusual, but also the fact that you're continuing to innovate I think is, is really important. So the control part. So I'll be honest with you. So I saw, and I'm sure you've seen it. And I, I can, if I was a close friend of yours, um, do you remember when Forbes did that piece on you? Oh God. Yes. Okay. Let's just talk about it. Yeah, please. Okay. Because (laughs) if I didn't have the opportunity to really pay attention, Uh um, you'd be like, holy shit. Like (laughs) that guy's intense, right? Like they, I mean, it, the amount that just made it seem like control, I want everything perfect, everything's yeah. in its place. I mean, it was an amazing directorial edit, I thought, because it's almost like they created the character of you. First of all, how'd you feel about that? Did that tweak you at all? Were your friends like, what the oh hell Oh, my is God. That? There is so much there. So. <laughs> so, no, no, I'll tell you, because this is a story I never get tired of talking about. Okay, because when I saw it, I was like, holy... Because it was... It was a mixed bag, to say the least. So what happened was, is I was essentially told that um, 
I was potentially going to get the cover of Forbes. Yeah. Which in retrospect, it should have been like, no way, no how, this totally Why? You've, you're in a, you are a success yeah, story. but I mean, I guess now that I know what it takes to, be, to, to get the cover, I was like, yeah, I, I, my people or, my, or myself should have known better. But anyway, yeah. um, it was one of the first times in my life that I dropped my guard and took my hand off the steering wheel. But the whole thing is about control. I know, which is the, I, that's the irony. So what happened is, is so I let Forbes architect, direct, and curate this content. And I was starring in a movie that they wrote. It felt like that. Yeah. I mean, now seeing you, it felt like that. Knowing that, I was like, before I was like, whoa. <laughs> And honestly, I was I would like I would get your product after and be like, I just I don't know that I would have connected those people yeah. with this bottle. So it was sort of like, okay, we want you to walk in and just talk about how like you like to have everything perfect and you cut your own vegetables. I mean, uh-huh. like what? Yeah, they, I mean, there was a part where they said to me. In retrospect, this should have been a major red flag, but they're like, hey, um, so we want you to go into your entryway and just pace. Pace. Yeah. And they're like, it's going to be really great. We're going to shoot it this way. We're going to see your silhouette. And, you know, in yeah. retrospect, it's just, but I don't pace. And pacing is usually like a worrisome, pensive expression. So, yeah. like, I'm not that guy. So why would I do that? So the normal me would be like, uh, thanks, but I'm yeah. going to stay you're in Forbes, my lane. But yeah. you think it's Forbes. Yeah. And I'm like, they, it's all grown up yeah, and stuff. Yeah. Why would they do me wrong? I'm going to get the cover. Yeah. Right. They're, in fact, they have this, like, big idea for We're me. We're talking about kombucha. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's interesting. I, I just wanted to bring that up because I thought, and of course, that's the stuff that like, why do so many people see that? Right. Right? Yeah. But I think what's great is and important is just that reminder that you can be really successful and have all this stuff and still um, other people have narratives. Mm-hmm. And so I just, you know, I, I always... Now I was amused because then, of course, when I was getting ready to talk to you, I thought, oh, I'm going to really do my homework. And I, I go, oh, that's such a misrepresentation <laughs> of what's happening yeah. in this. So let's slide over to, well, I want to wrap up the business side of things. Um, a tipping point. When did you, what, when was it Whole Foods? What was it where, and which product was it where you're like, I don't know, this open, the gates open, like you felt it. You go, something's going to happen here. Yeah. I know exactly when it was. So it was 2005. And as 10 I, years in uh-huh, ish. 10, right? No, 10 years in, like, okay. Exactly. Right. And, you know, as I said earlier, a big aspect of my marketing or interaction was to sample my products. So I would travel up and down the West Coast and go to certain stores and I would sample. And I would observe, as I said, and I would notice that there was this periodic kind of common theme that people would say when they tried my kombucha, they'd say, wow, this is incredible. This is different. This is exactly what I've been looking for. But I wouldn't have noticed this product because of its packaging. Now, at the time, it was in a barbecue sauce glass bottle. It had a very, call it Snapple-inspired label, like bright and colorful and poppy and all this stuff. What I didn't know that I was doing is I was inadvertently misrepresenting what was on the inside of the, the package. Mm-hmm. And so, again, after hearing that quite a bit from people's feedback, I said, I need to fix this. So I spent the next year, so this is 2004 to 2005, I spent the next year meditating and contemplating and almost soul searching of what the next look, the next face of my product was going to be. 
So instead of going out and scurrying and knocking on doors of friends and going, let's, you waited, but asked the question. Yeah. Okay. And so I asked myself again, why, why, why am I doing this? What was the, the driving force that brought me here? And again, as I said earlier, it's my background. It's my spirituality. It's my belief in Eastern ways of thinking and living. And there's a symbolism and thought there. And so I thought, you know what? Here I was exposed to all these really deep conversations of karma and reincarnation and transformation and things of that nature. I said, I have to look within. Because if this, this kombucha is an expression of who I am, I need to lean into that. Mm-hmm. So what I did is I worked with a design firm in the Northwest. And over a course of did six you months... Them? It was tough at the beginning. <laughs> well, because you know what happened is a lot of design firms, and even to this day, they default to what's hot right now. Of course. So the first round of design that they shared with me looked like Palm Wonderful, Izzy, which, again, is nothing wrong with those products. You're but they're chasing. They're, pe- they're contemporary beverages. Yeah. They are designed to just capture your eye, quench your thirst, move on, don't even think about it. And I said, that's not me. This is, a, this is like a religion. This is, you know, a spiritual can quest. You, can you imagine the people on the other end of that? Oh, my God. Well, first of all, you should have seen the look on my face when I poured my heart out in the first kickoff meeting, and then I came back like a month later, and they had me fly up to Seattle, and I was in this like boardroom, conference room environment, and they're like, here you go. Yeah, that's the best. You're like, did you hear one thing yeah, I said? Yeah, I, I mean, I was this close to like tipping the table. Oh, yeah. Like in complete rage. So what happened was is then I left that meeting, went to Kinko's, and went on AOL and started to search certain words like karma and om and prana and pranava and all these things that were in my vocabulary as a young boy but slowly faded out and I kind of resuscitated them. And through those search words came imagery of a lotus flower that means transformation and transcending darkness into light or challenge into success. And all these little different symbolic qualities started to come to me. And then I started to sketch the label. And, you know, again, I'm a big believer that you have to go almost out of your way to make sure that your intention is very clear. And a lot of times, most times, the best way to solidify your intention is to articulate it. So that's why even today my, my, my labels have a lot of words on them yeah. because the words is me and the product trying to speak to you. And so that's what I did. I, dra- I sketched this label and I s- faxed it back to these designers. And then six weeks later, they came back and I had what you're looking at right now is what we call the Lotus architecture. And I'm telling you, that changed me forever because it, did, it unlocked this language and conversation and connection between the bottle and the consumer Mm. that I no longer had to be sampling to have that conversation. Because again, you can only be so many places at once, right? Right. But if the packaging is talking and it's speaking the right language to the people who are seeking it, solid gold. Yeah, easy. And so within a year, I went from doing well to not being able to meet demand. I would send at the time, truckloads of product to these West Coast distribution centers that would supply Whole Foods and all that, and it would sell out in 15 minutes. 
Now, here's the interesting part. That actually can be a company killer. Yeah, I know. Because you're now pissing off customers and you're pissing off consumers. And it's the best way to, to give birth to your own competition. Or for people to say, you know what? This is BS. I need more product or you're out. And yeah. I can't tell you how many times people said that to me. And I said, you know what? This is not Coca-Cola. This isn't even orange juice that I can just buy more oranges and squeeze more oranges. I'm growing these. They take time. <laughs> I just, I have, I just, I keep thinking about like people, buyers at grocery stores. And you know how the cycles, like they're only like, they're only going to do it every couple months. Oh yeah. And like all this like protocol and all this stuff. And then you're like, hey, I'm growing this. <laughs> You know, this drink, it can't be rushed. People must have just been like, oh, my God. Yeah. But you know what's funny is, like, even Whole Foods at some point summoned me into their corporate headquarters in Austin. And they were like, what the fuck, man? Like, what's going on? Why can't you make more of this? But what they realized and I think recognized is that I was trying to serve a greater purpose. Mm -hmm. They could tell that, yeah, I, I wanted to make and sell products, but at what cost? Right. And I said to them, I said, listen... You sell a ton of products that are just manufactured, that people drink and forget about. I don't need to join that party. So I'm doing something special. Clearly, it's working. Why would I change that for a short-sighted decision to, again, start getting product back on the shelf now? But if I cut corners, I can't tell people with sincerity that's the best product possible. And I think people will recognize that. And then that's the beginning of the end. So besides your, you know, customers and, you know, vendors and such, do you answer to anyone? Um, I think we all answer to somebody at some point. I mean, I have to answer to myself yeah. because I think but I am. But in your business, like, do you have someone who's like, GT, I need to talk to you. Like, this is going on. And you sort of have that. Or are you, are you does the buck really stop with you? And if you want to pivot, you pivot. And that's just the way it is. Yeah, I would say for the most part, the buck stops with me. And the only time it doesn't, if, and then I encourage the people that I work with of any stage of where they're at in the company, above mm-hmm. me, below me, but by, yeah. besides me, all of that, is um, if, if what I'm doing, if I'm not seeing things with clarity, and this could actually harm the business, financially, physically, what have you, if somebody says, hey, this is not a good idea, and yeah. these are the reasons why. You know, I always believe you need to be open-minded. And I actually like to invite people's opinions. But again, my father told me, everybody has an opinion and most of them stink. So you listen to what people say, but you almost disseminate it into what's the common form of feedback that I'm hearing amongst everybody or most people. And that's usually what I pay attention to. But having said that, there's a reason why my company's private. There's a reason why I haven't taken on investors is because I've noticed as great as those circumstances can be, and I'm not here to judge anybody who's done that, yeah. but there now are two cooks in the kitchen. When I saw the Forbes interview, I know you want to be the yeah. only guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but there's something, the fact that you've been able to do that is so unusual and amazing. Do you, when you get to a certain level of success, did you have anything in place or practice to keep yourself in check? Because it's fun, yeah, right? Yeah. Like nice things and trips mm-hmm. and like... It's intoxicating. Right. So how do you keep... Because you're the guy. So <clears throat> how do you... Did you do... Did you put anything in place 
to even keep your and I and I appreciate like the spiritual practice, but just as you're living in the world, um, did you have any or did you like step off the curve a couple times and go, oh hey, yeah, that's gonna take me down. I better be careful. Oh, hundred yeah. percent. But there's three things that kept me and keep me focused. Um, you know, one is as I said, witnessing my brother die. Mm. Um and and how he felt and what was in his eyes and his and his heart and those um, last moments, um, that really reminds you that there are things that we overlook that are really important. And at some point we're going to recognize it and you don't want it to be too late. So I, I have those visuals ingrained in my brain. Um, the second is my mother. That, you know, my mother was always an example because my mother's beautiful and and glamorous and all these things, but she always had heart. She was never mean-spirited. She was never egotistical. She was never materialistic. Doesn't mean she didn't like the finer things, but it wasn't her identity. And then the third thing is maintaining spirituality, which comes in many shapes and forms. But, you know, I've done ayahuasca three times. I'm not here to promote stuff like that, even though I do think it's incredible. And the reason is, is that whether it's ayahuasca or, or breath work mm-hmm. or just meditation or going on a hike and immersing yourself in nature, there are these opportunities to reconnect with a vibration and a frequency that exists everywhere on this planet, but our eyes aren't open to it. And you have to open up your eyes. And when you see that, it, you can't unsee it. Mm. And, and, but to be honest, it's a, it's a, it's a routine. Like I've done, it's a practice. It's a practice. There's a reason why I've done ayahuasca three times because almost every two years, I need that reminder. I need, I need the veil to be pulled back. We're funny like that, aren't we? Yeah. I say that to my husband sometimes. Like something else, sign will come, and I'm like, why do I have to be keep given the sign? Haven't I learned this yet? Right. Just that reminder, like you said, I get bogged down with life's details and my own stuff and whatever. And it's like you have your truth, you've seen the truth, and then every once in a while you know, the beam comes down and goes, hey, knucklehead. And you go, oh, I know that already. Yeah, Why yeah. do I need to be reminded? And yeah. I think that, that that is why the practice um, is important because it maybe keeps the veil at least for a little thinner, yeah, you know? That's exactly it. So maybe for you, besides being very clear about your intention from like a straight business uh, perspective. What's one of the more valuable things that you know to be true for you that you've learned? Because you went through the school of doing it business. Yeah. You didn't go to Wharton. Right. What is it that really has shown up for you that in a business way that you're like, yes, this is should be in every business book? Yeah. Well, it's first of all, asking yourself, what makes me happy? And, you know, I realized at an early age, that wealth and success actually don't make me happy. In fact, they make me quite miserable. But what I did notice is that what makes me happy is to contribute and participate in the happiness of others and bringing joy into their life. And you know, I think, as they say, when you're healthy, you're happy. So if I can contribute and support the health of others, mm-hmm. which then translates into them being happier, and in many ways, and this is the number one thing people say when they drink our kombucha, is it, it opened up a door or it opened up my third eye, if you will, mm-hmm. to my relationship with myself, 
relationship with food, relationship with others, and relationship with this planet. And it's just like this, like you know, incredible, almost like um, you know, just very almost divine experience. And and that's what I want to be a part of, and in, in to whatever degree. But what if you have to go to a meeting, and you have some beverage? I don't know, manager, and he's going to buy your product, and you guys are culturally like couldn't be further. Yeah. Where do you, how do you bridge the gap between what you're selling and because these guys are about numbers and yeah. distribution and where it's positioned on the shelf and yeah. blah blah whatever shelf velocity. Yep. Where how do you find the ways to find the language? Yeah. Well, you know, honestly, sometimes that language involves the word no. Because I have been in some really big meetings with some really big customers that are basically trying to bend me over and say, it's this or nothing. And I said, listen, I, I'm here to tell you that I want to be a, a vendor. I want to be a partner. I want to hold hands and walk towards success. But at what cost? I said, because I do believe in short-sighted decisions and short-sighted mistakes. And I said, if I do this one thing, we may have success today or tomorrow, but I don't think it's going to last. And that's a lo- losing situation for you yeah. and for me. And, I, and th- th- there's been times that I'll, I'll say no. And because at the end of the day, it goes back to the why. Why am I doing this? Right. I've already made money, so it's not like I need it's to make more that, money. Right? Yeah. It's staying true to yourself, and more importantly, don't exploit situations. Like, again, if I was to succumb to this temptation, or better yet, this mandate that I've been giving, if it involves me compromising my beliefs, my values, what my product stands for, I mean, I've sold out. Yeah. It's not a good look. It, no, and it, it never, that never ends well. Um, okay, so you have... What's your favorite flavor? Do you have one? It varies, but the one that you brought up, Sacred Life, really? um, the blue one, is my favorite. Yeah, because it has a trippy feel. It does, yeah. It has like a silkiness that comes from the blue spirulina. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a story about that flavor, which I'll share really quickly. So that was our 25th anniversary flavor. So mm-hmm. last year, amongst all this pandemic stuff, we were trying at least to celebrate our 25th anniversary. And we wanted a moment to do that. So Sacred Life was the product that, or the flavor that I developed. And by no mistake, the original bottle, when it came out, had Sacred Geometry, the Seed of Life kind of um, pattern, if you will, embossed into the glass. And I named it Sacred Life because I believe clearly what makes this planet and all of us so incredibly special is the ability to, to sustain life. And I think that's important for who we are as human beings. I think that's important for all living things on this planet, including our food. Mm-hmm. And it was a reminder to me, as well as people who work with me, and well as the people who buy and consume our products, that that is still our number one priority. And no matter how trendy or clever things get in the marketplace, because there's a lot of snake oils right now, yeah. it has to have life. Mm-hmm. And, and, so the, the, and then what it was also special is there was a reason why we used and incorporated the, the blue spirulina into the liquid because it's a reminder of one of the most sacred forms of life on this planet, and that's our ocean right? Um, and how our ocean's struggling. So it was a, it was a big moment for me, and yeah. that's why it's my favorite flavor. It has a lot of sentimental value. 
Do you, I really enjoyed it. Do you? How many kombuchas do you drink a day? A lot. I would say like, like six, eight. Oh no, 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 no. Much more than that. I would say. Seriously, I would drink so many. If yeah. I owned your business, I'd be like. <laughs> well, here's the thing. What's so funny? So to answer your question first, so I drink anywhere from twelve to eighteen bottles. What? Yeah, which is a gallon to like a gallon and a half. That's amazing. Yeah, even two gallons sometimes. So maybe you're just drunk a little bit. No, no, no. What it is yeah, yeah. is you are super powered. Because what happens is, is like, I'm going to be honest, like, I'm juggling a bunch of stuff every day. You think? And kombucha gives me the mental clarity, the physical stamina, the elevated mood, all of that to really take on things and be my best. And so, how like... Much, how much sleep do you get a night? Well, that's my other thing. So I have, I have a couple of non-negotiables in my life. So eight hours of only sleep. Only a couple? Yeah. Laird's only. sleep is non-negotiable. Yeah. Let me tell how you. How many that. hours does he need? Well, he goes to, it's obnoxious. He goes to bed. He tries to go to bed by 8.30. Oh, my gosh. It's brutal. How do you have any fun? (laughs) I mean, no offense. At one point, you were single. I mean, you weren't going to bed at 8.30. No, no, no. Hey, even right now, and I'm married, I go to bed sometimes at midnight or 1. Okay, so what are your non-negotiables? So my non-negotiable is eight hours of sleep every night. How is that possible? You have two babies. That's going out the door, buddy. You make it happen. You make it happen. You say, we're going to get these kids, but daddy needs sleep eight hours. Well, you know what it is? is, And what's really interesting about kids, and I know you know this. I can't wait to see you. I want to re-interview you in about five years. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to be like, heavy set, tired. Seriously, seriously, your hair won't be. Just be like, (laughs) you'll only be drinking hard kombucha. Yeah, exactly. Bloodshot eyes. So sleep and what else? So sleep and a workout. Okay. Every day. What kind of workout? You bang iron, obviously. Yeah, so I lift weights. I do kickboxing. I swim. I run. You know, working out to me is a lot like brushing your teeth. Mm-hmm. It, you, you just have to do it. It's not, it's not a need, a nice to have. It's a need to have. You got to do it. Yeah. Do you do morning? I do morning, yeah. Do you find like if you don't get it in the morning, your day's eaten and you never get it in? Oh, yeah. And, Done, I, right? and I'm cranky. Right? Yeah. So I tell my team, because I'll literally cancel meetings and I say to them, I say, listen, I'm doing this for you because <laughs> yeah. you do not want me in that meeting no, without a workout because yeah. I'm telling you, the stinger's coming out. No, I always feel like for me, same thing. I go, okay, one thing, I've done one thing for myself today and I'm a, a little more reasonable. I think it's hard for people to realize that you get that time back in a multiple to you on your precision, your sort of balanced thinking, sense of well-being. Yeah. Food, are you vegetarian still? Yes. And you know what? So what's really interesting, this goes back to raising kids, is, you know, my parents, as I said, raised me a, ve- a vegetarian. But after the age of 10, they said, all right, we raised you this way. Go and eat whatever you want. Yeah. Which I think is important because I think people need to have the ability to make their own decisions and learn from them. As long as they're being given education and information so they can kind of yeah. sort things out. But at the end of the day, the choice is theirs. I agree. I'm, I have a daughter... Uh, my kids eat pretty healthy, but I don't, I, there's things I don't have in my house, but I don't say, oh, you can't eat this or that, you know, whatever. And, um, I have one daughter that she loves to get this weird, you know, the way my kids rebel is they'll be like, or her, can we get a Starbucks? Right. It's just like, be like, if I'm like, could I have healthy or I don't know. (laughs) And so they'll get some weird, you know, frappy something. And she'll be like, oh, and I'm like, "Mm mm-hmm. And I never say anything yeah. because they, if you're, exa- if you're an example to them and your parents are an example to you, and I do think it's healthy to let kids go off and make the choice, but you're showing them that's what you eat at home. Yeah. 
it feels good. It goes back to the very thing that when people drink a kombucha, it's like, oh, it just feels good. I, something about it. So it'll be interesting though, because when you, you know, we say knowing the difference between what's food and what's fun. So when you're with your kids, you'll be like, listen, I always say like a bagel is not food. It is fun, yeah. but it's not food. And, and just as long as they understand the difference. Um, so let's talk about uh, you having t- two children that are what, three months apart? Yes. Okay. So you have a son and a daughter and you were married in 2018. 2019. Okay, 19. And how long were you and Alan together before you got married? Well, we met and started, uh, we were together in 2011. So eight years. That's a long time. That's a long time. And to be honest, I wrestled with the whole idea of getting married. Because, well, a combination of things. You have a big business (laughs) and you have stuff to divide. And do you want to get in that hassle? Well, it's also that. It's like things are going so well. (laughs) We're so good. Yeah, we're so good. Do we really need a piece of paper to define us or but ceremonies right Cere- well so that's the other thing is so we even talked about doing the ceremony but not getting married mm-hmm. but what changed that is when kids came into the picture which by the way kids was also something that i think my husband always wanted because he's a taurus and taurus is very maternal and paternal so mm-hmm. they like my mom like are born to be parents me on the other hand i feel like i'm married with kids already with my business i'm like i'm good but It's when we started losing family members Mm -hmm. that, you know, I believe, especially when you lose a parent, because my my husband lost lost his father. I think when you lose a parent is when you become an adult in certain ways, because what I've learned is our parents, whether we like it or not, are always like, when you were a kid, when you were a baby, when you were this big, you're always hearing these stories, Mm -hmm. but when they're gone, those stories go. Yeah. And... So there was a desire in both my heart and mind, as well as my husband's, to build our family, grow our family, and more importantly, hope and pray that one day we would be blessed to have a child that we could look in their eyes and see a familiar set mm. of eyes looking back at us. Yeah. And, and because, you know, we can't do it the old-fashioned way. Sure. You, 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 it's a commitment. I mean, it's like, it's not a fleeting moment. Well, and listen, you don't, there's something to be said for like when you're pregnant, right? You get eased into, yes. Oh, I'm three months. I'm six yeah, months. Yeah, I have this feeling. Months, yeah. And I'm, t- oh, I can't sleep now because you're not going to sleep, right? right? So right. when you're uncomfortable because you're big and you're pregnancy, it's like, oh, nature's getting you ready for yes. just to not sleep. You're getting primed. Yeah. And, and, you know, whatever. So I, I'm always, uh, I have friends who have um, adopted, you know, and they'll get, be given the baby, girlfriends. Yeah. The, the girl, you know, my friend's like in her size two jeans and then like with a three-day-old. And I'm just like, whoa, something is really intense about all this, right? I'm like, they didn't really warn you yeah. or prep you. Um, it's Regardless, it, I, I, I think there's so many things about... What are you surprised about being a, a new parent? You know, I, I experienced this within the first five minutes of my baby boy Bloom being mm-hmm. born is I was really blown away by how the paternal instincts come out immediately. Mm. And within the first five minutes, my world got very, very small. And all my stresses, all my worries, all my desires completely went away. And the only thing I was concerned about was loving and protecting this living thing. Yeah. And, and in many ways, and I know you know this, children are like a mirror. They, they show you who you are for better or for worse. 
And they also shine a bright light into your life. Because kind of like what we were saying earlier is I'm, I've already told my husband this, I'm not getting a dad bod. Like I'm not, I'm I'm not going to get pulled into it. And I said, so what we need to do, and by the way, I'm not going to let the kids ruin our relationship. So we have to continue to maintain what makes the relationship special. We need to continue to maintain things in our personal lives that make us happy, like working out. Um, Because that ultimately will allow us to be the best parent and lead by example, by the way, because kids are, of course, very observant. Um, But the last thing that I'll say is that it did open my eyes to a whole other part of this world that I'm embarrassed to admit I was somewhat blind to. I mean, no offense, but like gay, CEO, badass company, perfect. Why would you worry about like cotton spit up blankets? Oh, yeah. Or like that really cool ergonomic stroller. Yes. Why would you ever need to know about that? What I want to know is do you have like a minivan? (laughs) Come on, what do you guys have? Come on. No, no, no. There has to be something. You have like a... Like no. a Porsche. What is it? Taycan. Like, yeah, right? I, I like, had the electric Porsche, the four-door, because yeah, all my exactly. other cars were sports cars. That's the closest I can get is to Is there it. two car seats in there? Uh, no, actually. Come <laughs> on. Where do the kids go? All right. Full disclosure. Yeah. And I've never thought I was going to say this, okay. this word, and it sounds pretentious, so I'm sorry, but I bought a, a Kia Telluride. Okay. And that's the, that's the kid car. Right. I don't drive it. Yeah. Um, You're like, my, I will not be caught dead yeah, being my, my, seen in that car. Yeah, it doesn't have enough torque for me. There will be uh, Cheerios in that car. I mean, yes, even if they're yes. gluten-free, I know. they'll be in the cracks. I know. My husband used to joke, he's like, remember how clean everything was when oh, yeah. I first met you? Because my cars are always clean. And, you know, my kids are getting bigger now. But there was a time where I was like, yeah, who the fuck cares? Like, whatever. Like, yeah. uh, you know, people are like, oh, is that is that what? Is that a suitcase in my car? Is that a cooler? Is that food? Yes, it is. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like, whatever. Yeah. I think, you know, somebody said something to me that's very important for, for parenting. Uh, uh, Byron Katie said, you could do two things that would be really important um, for your children, which would be listen. Yeah. Because the tendency is going to be to want to fix everything. And she said, and, and make yourself as happy as you can. When none of us are walking through it, and life is not about like happiness is not the destination, but this idea, right? Yeah. Like you're saying, like working out, doing things, nurturing your mind, your spirit. Um, she said, so they know what it looks like. And I thought it feels selfish, but there's something so powerful when you go, when you also trust in the modeling factor of parenting but, um, and ha- how about Alan? How is he adjusting? Is he just in hog heaven? Or oh what? my God. I mean, he was, he was born to be a dad. Yeah. I mean, he, cloud nine, loving every aspect of it. Um, so it's beautiful. I mean, again, that's what I kind of knew going into this mm-hmm. is that, it, and my mom told me this is having babies sounds nice, but you can't just like see a baby on, you know, in the street or out in public and be like, oh, I want one. No, 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 no. She's like, that is the beginning of the end. It has to be this like fire in the belly, mm. this like burning desire that only gets bigger. And she said, when that happens, yeah. then you can have kids. It's no joke. I mean, did you ever, you ever have a night you go to bed and you realize like, oh, they're here. Yeah. Like it's, I, we used to joke at our house, like you can't put them back. There's no pause. 
even when they're not here, you're thinking about them, you're worried about them. Cause you, so you think, even if I just get a moment, I used to think when you have a new baby, especially there was something interesting where I'm like, I just need to get out of the house for a minute. And the minute I would leave, I was like, I just really need to be home with them. Yeah. And so there's such an interesting and beautiful, um, occurrence, but yes, they are here. Yeah. And, uh, it's, it's, it's a lifetime commitment. It's for real. Yeah. Um, and it is the most expansive thing. So I, I really, I'm going to be, like I said, I want you to, I want you to come back. I want them to be about two or three. Okay. And I just want to see how it's going. I just want to see if like your shirt has a stain on it or something. And you're just like, yeah, I was just with the kids, you know, (laughs) I just want to know. But I I really appreciate, um, first of all, your, your business. I really appreciate that you, you put that out there, your product. I have been a consumer since the beginning and I'm not saying that. I don't just say things. And, um, And, and thank you for that. Because that's, well, yeah, that's no. huge. I mean, that's companies like mine exist because of people like you. Yeah. And I just have to ask a couple things. If somebody thought, okay, listen, I'm going to buy this stuff, but I would like to experiment mm-hmm. with doing it at home. You know, there's always some adventurous soul. Can you find a SCOBY anywhere? Absolutely. Where? Yeah. I mean, I mean, can they stand outside and get the old scoby outside? <laughs> when that's about, that's going to turn to mulch. <laughs> no. I probably wouldn't want them to do that one, but I mean, there's, you can, I mean, there's actually now a trade association for the kombucha industry called KBI. And that's mm-hmm. a great source to get cultures for homemade kombucha okay. because it's a trusted source. Because just like everything, even like, you know, the seed of a fruit, there are better seeds than others. So you want right. to make sure you start with a good seed, um, number one. Number two, you actually can, and this is case in point, that we make incredible kombucha, which is easy for me to say, but you can actually grow a SCOBY from a bottle of GTs. So if you take like a bottle... You, can, of, you yeah. have a lot of confidence. You're like, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Bring it. Um, no, but if you take a bottle of original and you pour it into a vessel, and obviously there's more steps here, but I'm going to yeah. simplify it, sure. and just basically cultivate it as if you have a culture, mm-hmm. it will develop a culture. And then you can use that to make your next batch and it'll continue to reproduce and you're off to the races. Yeah, you're like, leave it to the professionals. Um <laughs> You also, uh, GT's Living Foods is really the brand now. And you have other things. We talked about um, the aqua kefir and you have your Coco Yo. Yes. And so there's other things that you're doing. So um, there's over 40 flavors. And do do you want to give a shout out to Steven Seagal? Uh, Yeah. Are we okay about that? Absolutely. (laughs) I thought that was amazingly random. Is that incredible? Yeah. Well, the, the, the most amazing part, by the way, is when I got the call back from Steven's team. Yeah, how old were you? 20? No, no. I was much younger because I was still making it out of my parents' house. <laughs> exactly. So get, get this. <laughs> so my, my answering machine takes a message, and it was something like, hi, I'm with uh, Mr. Seagal. We are interested in your product. We'd like to have it directly delivered to us. When I finally get their address, they're on off of the street that my house is on. So you know, my Would house, you ride your bike down there? Well, no, because that would be a dead <laughs> giveaway, right? <laughs> I made it look like it, I was traveling from far away to bring it there. <laughs> but yeah, I brought it in and it was just, again, it was remarkable what a small world it was. Yeah. Um, but it, those, it's those sweet moments that, again, if you're listening, you're like, the universe is telling me that, like, keep doing this. Keep you're, doing, you're doing all right. Yeah, the signs yeah. are there. Is there anything else that is important to you that you want to share before we um, wrap up? Because I've used so much of your time already. Um. I mean, I think we covered a lot. I think just in closing, you know, I think it's important for all of us, especially in this day and age that we're going through where we feel challenged, days feel dark and all of that, to always look inward 
and to know that there is a greater meaning to life. And sometimes it's not right in front of us. Maybe it's not as obvious. But if you take that moment and you center and ground yourself with love and gratitude and good intentions, um, everything will be okay. And you'll be happy and you'll be healthy. And again, the days will be bright. Yeah. And I, I think what you do very naturally, though, is because you have maybe that blend of your mom and dad is that you are strong enough and maybe a little bit of a killer yeah. that you can also stay rooted within your path. Because sometimes when it's one, it is hard to, it's easier to do that when you're strong within yourself because the outside world does, will oftentimes run over you if it's like, oh, in love and in all these things. But I think what you have very interestingly is that killer also. So you, you have the um, c- combination or the strength to be like soft and like, oh, that's the line. Oh, yeah. And especially if people are doing business, I think it's a very difficult thing to do, but it's, it's certainly worth trying. Absolutely. You and know? you're right. I mean, because some of the things I said could be easily misinterpreted to be like, oh, he's just a pushover or no. a nice guy or peace and love, hippy dippy. And it's like, yeah, peace and love, but it's also, you know, I believe in being a soldier and a soldier with S-O-U-L in, yeah. in the beginning is that you're fighting with your spirit. You're not fighting to harm people, but you're fighting because you believe in something and you will not back down. And you're willing, right. honestly, to die for what you believe in. Yeah. And that's really important. And, I, and I'm going to close on saying that um, I'm really excited because I know your mom must be so thrilled that you have, she has grandchildren yes. and that what she thought maybe was going to be your path when you were 12 or 13, um, that you have, um, you didn't have to suffer because of, you know, just going at what she thought was a different path at that yeah. time. Yeah. So it's, it's really, you know, just reminding people that, we don't always know how it's going to work out, and it usually could be so much better than we think. And and so, uh, congratulations on your family and your business, and um, and I can't wait to see what you do next. Thank you. Thanks. I appreciate that. Thanks so much for listening. And if you'd like, rate, subscribe, and leave us a review. All of my music was graciously done by Frank Zumo and Tom Thacker. If you want to see some of the behind the scenes action, just follow me at Gabby Reese. And remember, don't miss new episodes every Monday. 